Hey, Jordan. Welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you. Hey, Angela. Really happy to be here. <laughs> and um, I'm really excited for our conversation today. You and I had had a chance to work together kind of in real time, which makes this, uh, I think, a natural conversation because some of the work we've been doing um, has been in the neuroscience space, but from different angles, uh, you know, me coming in and working with, with you and your team uh, on leadership and you kind of working in the space of neuroscience on a day-to-day basis as far as yeah. the, the research and the science and the insights behind it. So tell us who you are, what you do, and the impact you're looking to make on the world. Yeah, yeah, thanks. So uh, Jordan Zezza, I'm, I'm currently uh, working in data science portfolio management. So I lead, uh, you know, basically what that means is I, I lead a team of a couple of project managers that really partner with, um, you know, computational neuroscientists and, you know, neuroscience strategists that are kind of leading uh, data science efforts in how we impact the neuroscience pipeline. And so we really partner with them to kind of organize their project plans and, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, we're really making an impact along along the pipeline with data science. So, you know, we sort of bucket our work into strategy operations and, and project management. And, um, you know, it's been, that's kind of the, the space that I've played in uh, for my, you know, pretty much entire career. So, you know, I've worked, uh, I'm in pharma now and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of we'll talk about the impact in a little bit, but I've kind of worked across the healthcare spectrum. So when I, you know, entered the workforce, I entered at a, an integrated payer provider system. And mm-hmm. so had the opportunity to work in pl- spaces like hospital operations and, and data science at an insurance company and, you know, worked uh, for a post-acute care management company. And, and uh, you know, then I, I did some work in, in finance, actually, which was a little bit drier part of my career. And, you know, hopefully <laughs> for any of my finance colleagues that may hear this, uh, we'll take that lightheartedly, but, uh, (laughs) you know, it was, uh, you know, I've had a a very wide range of experiences across healthcare. And so, you know, that's, uh, I I studied neuroscience in in undergrad as, you know, we, we talked about, and, you know, I'm not a neuroscientist. I, I did go and get a master's degree in management and organizational leadership. So, you know, kind of look to blend my STEM background and my passion for neuroscience with, a business degree and, you know, how we can figure out um, how to make a really broad uh, impact with, with neuroscience. And, you know, that kind of takes me to my why. So, you know, just like most people who are in healthcare that I've, I've spoken to and really kind of stick in healthcare their entire career, um, you know, they have a personal tie to it. So my grandmother mm-hmm. was, you know, diagnosed and, and passed away from Alzheimer's disease. And so, you know, that was mm-hmm. kind of my motivation for studying neuroscience going into it. Um, And I did, you know, want to take that PhD uh, career route. And, uh, you know, I got some advice from from professors that, you know, if you really want to make a a niche and and broad impact, um, you know, they kind of just professed to me that I have the skill set to kind of maybe go a business route and and just kind of take this, you know, more of a unique path, I guess you can say. Um, And so, you know, I I have seen more and more of this trend in in recent years. But, um, you know, at the time there was... I didn't really know of a lot of people that would study uh, a science, you know, in undergrad <laughs> and then kind of go more towards a, a business master's degree. But I did do that. And, you know, I kind of feel like I came full circle here and, and now I'm kind of working on a neuroscience team and I'm kind of the business person among PhDs, if you will. And uh, I really enjoy working with people that are 
you know, way smarter than me. I'm, I'm not afraid <laughs> to say that, but I'm happy to be kind of the person that, um, you know, brings them together in a way and, and lead a team that helps us, you know, get organized and, you know, make sure that we're, we're really making an impact um, in the space. So um, my why goes back to, to my, my family and, and wanting to really have an impact on, on patients, uh, you know, and families that have gone through those, you know, really tough experiences with, with really all diseases, but I'm, I'm happy to be focused in neuroscience and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing that story. It's profound and, you know, it, I'm sure it guides your work every day, uh, as you're working with these scientists on, on the brain and, uh, how we can make quality of life better for everyone. And, you know, we also think about, this in a similar way, like you said, from a business perspective. So, you know, my background's in industrial organizational psychology, which is kind of this like merging of um, STEM sciences, data research, but also the application of that within organizations and business. So I feel like we're kindred spirits in that way, <laughs> where we have kind of this dual brain approach to the work. So one of the things I would love to talk more about, just at a basic level, um, I want to eventually talk about human-centered design, which I think is a really great merging of both of our areas of expertise. But when, when we think about neuroscience and work, what are some things that we should be thinking about as far as the impact we're making to people within the workplace? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, and, and we'll, we'll kind of get to this with with, you know, human centered design, but I think, you know, a lot of, well, I'll just go back and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily a neuroscientist. So I do want to obviously, you know, <laughs> say that and, and, you know, from a psychological standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily a psychologist, but what I can say in terms of the neuroscience of the workplace and, and, you know, kind of getting to the human centered design piece of it. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I was taught very early on in my career is around, the topic of psychological safety in the workplace mm. and really creating a, a team environment where, you know, people are, you know, can feel free to speak their minds. And, and that's the way really that, you know, innovation can, can thrive. And so I think creating that psychologically safe workplace um, is really, really important. And I think, you know, we, we kind of work together on, on starting to create mm -hmm. that for, you know, a team that was newly formed and, you know, I've kind of been a part of, I've had the, the luxury in my career. I, I started, um, you know, the reason I was able to list all those different functions I was a part of was I was in a rotational program to kind of start my career. And so I've had the luxury of seeing a number of different teams and a number of different leaders, both high performing. And, and you know, I've, I've worked with people that have had lower performing teams and, and have had, you know, kind of not so great leaders. Um, and the really clear line of delineation between a, a good leader and, and maybe a not so good leader is, is the leader that can create a psychologically safe space um, mm -hmm. and, and feel that when we do kind of speak up and we're able to, to you know, um, kind of propose ideas that might be against the grain or might be some of the more difficult conversations, uh, you know, I would say that, you know, those leaders then act on those and, and kind of empower the employees to then say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm speaking up and then I see a, a change as a result of that. And so, you know, I think, uh, you know, along those lines with psychological safety, we get to that radical candor. And so when you 
when you create that psychological safety and, you know, you, you can create that sort of radical candor within your team. And really that's how you kind of progress more quickly through the, the teaming life cycle of, you know, forming, storming, norming, Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of going along that, that life cycle. So I think from a, you know, neuroscience standpoint and a psychology standpoint, creating that psychologically safe space where, you know, leaders and team members feel that they can speak candidly and, and they're, you know, they can kind of provide that radical candor. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, I think that's, that's, you know, a really good, good place to be, uh, with a team. So, you know, thankfully Mm -hmm. we, we kind of have that where I'm at now. So it's good. That's wonderful. Yeah. And psychological safety. I mean, it's, uh, as you know, with some of the work that we've done, it's really grounded in, um, how, how the brain actually works, how, um, how humans work through collective goals together and, you know, some of the very basic, I don't know, primal um, consistencies that we all are faced with within the workplace that, you know, can make an environment um, a place where people are forced to be in survival mode or they're thriving and contributing to the goals. So, um, so this is how we get to human centered design, I think, because, um, you know, people, I think oftentimes think about the design of the work and not necessarily the humans that are doing the work. So tell us a little bit more about what human centered design is and your perspective on it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and I, and I, you know, I, I maybe should have mentioned in my intro, so I'm, I'm a certified practitioner of human centered design. So I do want to, uh, you know, throw that out there that I've, I've been certified as a practitioner, but I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily an expert, but I I feel Mm. that. I do use it enough in, in my day-to-day work and, and try to use um, some of the practices in place where maybe they're not typically used. And so, mm-hmm. you know, excited to kind of, you know, talk about that a little bit more. But human-centered design is essentially a, you know, a problem-solving technique or, or an approach um, where you're essentially putting the human at the center of, of what you're doing and really the human human experience. So what you you know, what you feel, what you see, what you taste, touch, and, and, you know, you're, you're kind of putting that, like I said, the human experience of what you're doing. And, you know, typically human centered design is used in things like product development or process improvement. And, um, you know, I'm part of what I'm, I'm trying to do is, is just think about how we bring human centered design into places where, you know, people are not so familiar with it. So, you know, right now I work in, in R and D and data science. And, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes, you know, obviously when we're, we're running clinical trials and, and, you know, we're, we're, you know, doing drug development or just in, in healthcare in general, if we're developing a, a program, um, you know, for, for, for patients in, in need or, or developing a program for an unmet need, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you're obviously thinking about the patients, but, you know, particularly in a space like, like data science, we, we talk about, patients all the time, whether it's at the payer, whether it's at in, in pharma, you know, where, wherever that, that data science function might live, but, you know, realistically they're kind of behind a number. And so bringing mm. that human centered, um, design to some of the things that we do and, and into our day-to-day work will kind of bring to light kind of the human experience. Um, you know, one of the examples, I, I do want to tell a little example of human centered design yeah. that I think is, um, 
it's not necessarily focused in the workplace, but I think it highlights the essence of, of what human centered design is and kind of how it can be different than typical process improvement, mm-hmm. for example. So, um, and I do want to credit a coworker, a previous coworker that had, had told me this story, but there was essentially a large airport. I, I think it was the Houston airport. And, um, you know, basically what was, what was happening is they were having, um, poor customer experience uh, scores on their surveys. And, and the, the root cause of that was they were waiting really long for their baggage claim. Um, so from the time that they were exiting the aircraft, uh, you know, and, and then they were waiting at baggage claim, it was, let's just say it was mm-hmm. 20 minutes or so. And so, you know, the solution that um, the, the, the airport executives essentially came up with was let's bring in a Lean Six Sigma process improvement, you know, group of consultants that, you know, can help us kind of improve our, our throughput rate and process. And, you know, we'll get the bags to the customers faster. And so they did that. Let's say they cut it in half. It was, you know, reduced from 20 minutes to maybe 10 minutes. And so they anticipated seeing a significant improvement in, in scores. Um, and the next quarter when they did, they did the customer experience scores, you know, you can probably infer they didn't really see much of a, mm. much of an improvement. Um, so then what they did was they kind of brought in a group of human centered design consultants and, you know, what, what they did was, you know, there's, there's a framework in human centered design called the double diamond. And we can talk about that a little bit, but, um, you know, the first thing they do is they, they really hone in on what is, what is it that you're solving for? What is the real, hmm. you know, thing that you're solving for? And when you look at that, it's, it was customer experience. It was that human experience of, of waiting. Mm-hmm. And so essentially, you know, after their, their analyses and, and, you know, what they were looking at in terms of the process, they weren't looking at, improving the rates of how fast the bag can get to the baggage claim, but they were looking at the humans physically waiting in that space. And so what they actually did was they built a small extension onto the airport and they rerouted the customers from, you know, when they got off the aircraft, instead of taking two or three minutes to get to baggage claim, they routed them. So it took 10 minutes or so. So by the time they got there, the bags were already there. And sure Mm -hmm. enough, you know, the, the next quarter, you know, they saw the customer experience scores and they skyrocketed. So um, I think that story there, you know, highlights the the essence of human centered design because you're not solving for a a process or a throughput rate or this, you know, trying to add more people to to unload the bags or increase the the rate at which, you know, the conveyor belts are moving. What you're doing is solving for the actual human experience. And we know in, in many cases for large corporations, when you're looking at, um, you know, when you're looking at your customers, uh, it's, you know, that that's obviously tied to the bottom line. And then when you're looking at your employees internally and their, mm-hmm. um, you know, their kind of experience, that's also tied to the bottom line as well. So I, I know that story doesn't necessarily focus in the workplace, but I think it highlights the essence of what human centered design is and how it's a little bit different than, you know, your typical problem solving approach. Yeah, no, I love that example because it does highlight um, the fact that, you know, you're talking about, um, first of all, thinking about the end goal. What are we trying to solve for? And also you're, you know, being being considerate of the people you're serving. Um, you know, you're not serving the process. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to customer experience and employee experience, you're serving people and humans. And uh, what are some parts of the human condition that can be frustrating or barriers to delighting that group um, or getting that group what they need. Baggage is one thing, but that could also be 
you know, a, um, a working group or a team or how they're functioning. And so what are some of the tools, I guess, because I, I, I've seen some, I mean, human centered design is kind of a philosophy, but there's also a set of tools just like lean six Sigma. What are some of the things that are important to consider? Yeah. I, you know, I, I would say in terms of, um, I mean, in terms of tangible resources, you know, for, for, for listeners who are more interested in getting into human centered design, um, you know, mural is a great tool that's, that's aligned to human centered design. Mural is a virtual whiteboard essentially, but it comes with a bunch mm-hmm. of different frameworks that kind of outline, you know, human, human centered design. And so that's one of my, my favorite things, um, to leverage. So I would say that's sort of a tangible tool. Um, and another good resource to learn more about human centered design and design thinking is, um, there's a website called designkit.org. Um, and it's a free website that outlines, you know, different methods for, um, you know, human centered design. So, you know, in terms of the tools, I think the, the, the broad framework that human centered design, um, kind of operates within is that, that double diamond approach. And, you know, mm. you can, you can Google it. Um, if you just Google double diamond, uh, human centered design, you'll kind of find a bunch of different articles on it. And, um, you know, basically, you know, what it is, is, uh, the approach is if you can imagine the first diamond being the, um, the problem space, right. And then the mm. second diamond is more of the solution space is what they call it. And so when you're sort of in the, in the first diamond for the, um, you know, the problem space, what you're doing is you're kind of cascading, um, and trying to understand what the problem is. And, and that phase is, is really the um, discover phase, right? So you're trying to understand what what is the, um, you know, what's the problem that we're actually solving for. And so kind of going back to that mm-hmm. example of, of the airport, you know, you'd really be looking at the human experience. And so some tools that you might use there are, are frameworks for, for interviewing or shadowing or customer experience mapping. And, you know, a lot of that is, is kind of, you know, somewhat desk research, but then also kind of taking into account some of the experiences if you kind of jump into the process and start asking questions. Hmm. The second piece of that is kind of the define phase where you're more so defining the actual problem. So at first you're kind of casting a wide net and then you're, you're looking to, to actually define the, the, the specific problem. And so, you know, what you can do there is, is, you know, leverage customer experience mapping, for example. And this is actually Hmm. the process of, you know, looking at what a, a, a customer or what a person is going through in a particular, you know, with whatever framework you're using and you're trying to map exactly what their experience is. And, and it's not just from a, you know, like you said, we're not serving the process, we're serving the person. So mm-hmm. what are they seeing? What are they feeling? What are they hearing? Um, what are they tasting, touching, whatever that might be, you know, what is that person experiencing? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that can kind of get you to, the specific problem that, that you want to solve. Um, the second piece of that diamond, when you start to get into the solutioning space, um, you, you sort of, once again, you cast that wide net. So we're casting and then we're, you know, honing in and now we're casting a wide net again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're developing, um, you know, we might be developing an actual solution to a problem. So whether that would be a process or a product or, you know, a way of working, um, and some of the tools you can use, there's a bunch of different frameworks for this, but, but one of the tools that I like to use there is, is what's called a minimum viable product, um, mm-hmm. or an MVP. And so really you look for, you know, what are the, what is the, uh, minimum kind of components necessary for this, for this strategy to work, for this framework to work, for this process to work. And you kind of can map those out, 
um, to try to understand, you know, like we said, what are, what are the minimum things that we need to, to get this to work? And then the last thing is really um, the delivery of this. And so that's, you know, that's kind of where you're, you're executing on, on what you've developed. Um, and that's where, you know, you might use some tools like interviews or surveys or different things like that. But once again, you know, they're not necessarily focused on, you know, quantifiable metrics in a way. It's more so you're, you're trying to, you're trying to assess the, the fluffy stuff in a way, mm-hmm. right? You're trying <laughs> to assess the, the human experience, the things that are, are tougher to quantify. And like I said, there's, there's a lot of different methods. If you kind of go to those different resources, um, you know, too many for me to name at once, but there's, there's a <laughs> yeah. lot of different methods and approaches to kind of doing some of those things. Um, when you want to approach a problem using that double diamond framework. Yeah. One of my favorite tools, um, is uh, the use of personas or, you know, avatars. Uh, and, and that really provides you with a multi-layered dimensional perspective because, you know, we are diverse people, right. And even with that baggage claim, uh, example, you may have different, personas. You may have the person who is in a rush and needs to get home. You may have the person who has a little bit of extra time. You may have the person who just got off a flight um, and is, uh, you know, going through something. You know, there's so many ways to kind of break down personas to understand how can you create options and choices for people during that experience. Um, And that's, you know, one of my favorite tools when it comes to uh, diversity inclusion perspective, too, from a uh, employee experience perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, I think where, you know, where we, where we start to use human centered design to in, in a more unique mm-hmm. kind of a place where it's not a process improvement or not like a product development, you know, like I, I mentioned, one of the things that, um, one of the things that is kind of a, a pillar that, that I've, you know, kind of carved out for, for my team is, you know, under, we kind of have our strategy operations and project management, but within strategy, you know, one of our strategic pillars is the, the people and culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like how do we, how do we create a team, um, with this, you know, we have a newly created function. Data science is this really hot topic in pretty much any industry. We use data science and, and AI to do, you know, pretty much everything. And so all these new teams are, are forming and, you know, really, I think what, what, what we want to make sure that we build is a team that's worth joining and pe- a team that people want to stay a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a lot of work and it's, you know, like I said, this has been kind of the busiest month of, of my <laughs> career uh, so far. Right. And it's um, you know, we, we have to realize too, that, you know, these, an organization, like you talk about a lot on the podcast, right? An organization isn't just an, an institution or a team just isn't this functional unit, right? It's a group of, of people, right? And, and that's kind of the way that, um, you know, we, we want to look at it. And so that's mm-hmm. why we've kind of called out and instilled this, like, you know, people in culture, we're a small team of, of, you know, 10 or 13 people or so it's, it's, it's a smaller team, but when, when other people are looking from the outside in, what do we want to be known as? And then when mm-hmm. we look at ourselves, what do we want to be known for? And so, you know, we, we're kind of using human centered design uh, frameworks and approaches to trying to create that. And it's, it's hard because it's, it's really hard to just 
write that down in a sentence or in a, in a couple of sentences, but human centered design kind of forces us to, um, mm. and it's, it helps us kind of create like, what is the internal identity that we want and what is the brand we want to create to be known for? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of a, a key pillar in our strategy that's, that's, you know, definitely grounded in human centered design. And, and once again, trying to bring that to places where it hasn't always been used. Um, mm. and, and, you know, at least not that, that I've seen so far in my shorter career. I would say. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I have to ask because, you know, you're working with data scientists, neuroscientists, uh, you know, very logical thinkers when it comes to these things. How, what are some tactics as a leader, as a um, integrator of human-centered design? How do you get people to adopt this who may yeah. look at it as the fuzzy stuff or, you know, uh, maybe not as data-driven as they would like? Yeah, you know, actually, um, I think it's a little bit easier than than you might mm, think okay. because I I actually, from my experience, you know, I kind of went in thinking one thing and and that was that, you know, yeah, these people are, are very quantitatively driven and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, this causes that, or we're saying this is statistically significant because Mm -hmm. of X, Y, and Z. Um, and so, yes, I, I kind of thought maybe some of the the fluffier stuff would be uh, a little bit more difficult or more challenging to kind of adopt. Um, but what I actually found is when we started to introduce human centered design and tools like mural and virtual whiteboards, virtual collaboration spaces, and we started to talk about things that were a little bit more fluffy and idea generation and kind of trying to create a funnel where we, you know, we, we ask a bunch of provocative questions that will get a bunch of ideas out there. And then we funnel them down to a really great action plan um, hmm. for a particular topic, like you know, a data science initiative or something like people and culture and and communications and things like that. What I found is they really enjoy it. Like when I, you know, when I, one of the things I like to do when I facilitate a human centered design focused exercise is, you know, it always kind of prompts you to start with a check-in. So Mm. how are people doing? How are people feeling? And I'll never forget the very first um, kind of HCD focused session that I did with with the current team, um, you know, I remember there was a few people that were like, oh, we feel, you know, you could put an emoji next to your, next to your, your name. And they were like, oh, we feel tired. And, you know, we're kind of still waking up. It was earlier in the morning. And then, you know, we had a little checkout at the end of our, you know, we kind of did a little brainstorming activity and and things like Mm. that. And we had a little like kind of checkout session where, you know, there was like a, there was like a, a gif of like Will Ferrell doing the like this versus <laughs> someone kind of like slumped over. Like, how do you feel? Should we, you know, use more of this type of uh, technique and tool, um, you know, going forward? And almost everyone was like, yeah, we need like we need this. We need more of this. This is this is the stuff we need to talk about. And, you know, I think, you know, when we worked with you, I, I think you saw that, too, where you know, people weren't afraid to speak their mind. People weren't afraid afraid to speak up and people want to talk about, you know, people want to talk about culture and, and workplace satisfaction and, you know, the really kind of the fluffy stuff that sometimes um, goes unnoticed or is tough to quantify, mm. um, but it's really important to everyone and in, including, including data scientists who are actually <laughs> really, really passionate about it. So, um, you know, I was pleasantly surprised that, um, it was 
pretty easy to integrate, honestly, because people mm-hmm. wanted to use it and now we've used it a ton. Um, so it's, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know we call it fluffy and, you know, these soft skills, but I always say they are the hardest of all of the skills because you're really working with, sure, there's concepts, there's tools, there's frameworks that we know from a psychology, sociology, anthropology, neuroscience, like all of these disciplines mixed into one around how what really drives human behavior. And there's research, right? There's data behind these things. These are not actions or frameworks that are just uh, random. (laughs) Um, They focus on how humans actually learn, which is social learning. They focus on what motivates humans, uh, things like autonomy and empowerment and having a sense of purpose. These are all things that are researched. So uh, I think sometimes people do, I mean, yes, we, we, don't have this kind of one-to-one significant correlation. There's never really a correlation with the work that we do, but we do know some of the concepts or factors that drive certain behavior. And it's kind of a a flywheel, right? There's a lot of different factors that can be built in. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that your team really took the bull by the horns. And, you know, I witnessed that when working with your team and it was really refreshing because Again, I just look at this team in particular that you're working with and the impact that they're going to make on the, the you know, the, the the condition of neuroscience and the, the products and the services and the um, really the cures in some case, cases when it comes to the brain, which is absolutely phenomenal that, you know, you and I both had a hand in some of that and yeah. is really... Um, really fulfilling for me at least. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the team, the team, and like I said, the team really enjoyed that, that session and all the feedback that I would get is we need, we need more of this. We need to talk mm-hmm. about this more. We need to, you know, make sure. And like we said, I think we have, we've, I've experienced a lot of <clears throat> radical, radical candor in, mm-hmm. in our, in our day to day. Right. And so I think, you know, we have a team that's really passionate about you know, people and culture. And, you know, it's, it's been, you know, I know you've talked about this a lot on the, on the podcast, but Mm -hmm. being in the virtual world, you know, we're starting to get back to work, but, you know, even so the team that, that, you know, I'm on, we're so decentralized. We have people in, you know, over in Europe, we have people scattered throughout the United States. So even if we do go back to this kind of, uh, in the office, um, you know, model, it'll still be, relatively virtual for us because Mm -hmm. we are a a very decentralized team. And I think one thing that I've noticed just from the pandemic is I, I came from a a team that was so, so centered on culture. I mean, Mm. we talked about it nonstop and what type of culture they wanted to build. And we talked a lot about professional development. There was multiple team members that were dedicated specifically to, to, culture and and onboarding and just making sure that people had that psychological safety. And it was, you know, really awesome. It was really awesome to see um, and see a team that's been experienced with doing that right for, for a very long time. Hmm. Um, And then, you know, you kind of come to a team that's newly formed. There was like three or four people that have been around for, for a long time. Um, And then, you know, most of us were new from, from outside of the organization. And so, it was really tough to kind of 
build a culture in a virtual world. And it's still, it's, it, I mean, it still is tough to do that. Right. Because we're not kind of, you know, we talk about what do you hear, see, feel, taste, touch, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're really only seeing and hearing those people, but not even in the same room. Right. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it is, um, it's definitely tough to kind of build a culture in a virtual world. And I know, I know you've, you've talked about that a lot, but Mm -hmm. I think what's helped us is this human centered design, you know, frameworks and tools and, and technologies that support, um, you know, that kind of problem solving approach to not just a process, but to people and culture and how we kind of communicate and interact and what we want to be known for and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I think it takes a whole nother level of human centered design to think about this in the context of a distributed workforce, um, because, you know, working virtually works, but it takes a whole different leadership style and, uh, ways of doing things and getting to similar outcomes that you just have to be intentional about, which is what I think human-centered design is is really all about. It's really about focusing on, again, the experience, the tools, the frameworks that help us get to outcomes that equal things like, uh, you know, a more inclusive culture, better performance, psychological safety, all those things that we mentioned before. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So just to tie the bow on this topic, because I, I feel like we could certainly go in many different directions, but I first and foremost appreciate this conversation because a lot of guests we have on, uh, we have wonderful guests who are making, you know, kind of big contributions in the areas of, uh, you know, workplace, human-centered design. And uh, it's it's also good to hear, like from a leadership perspective, just the, like, very specific application of what this means for a team. So someone who's in the trenches, someone who is working with a team on improving and moving some of these concepts forward. So is there any any last thoughts or anything else that you want to provide the audience for people who are thinking about introducing human-centered design with their teams um, that could be helpful? Yeah, you know, I I, I think, um, you know, I think we, we obviously covered a lot. I mean, hopefully... <laughs> You know, my, you know, hopefully the kind of message that I, that I wanted to convey today is that, you know, human centered design is not just for the applications that are being leveraged in a, you know, for, for an Apple product or for, right. you know, for an iPhone product or something, right. Or a process, mm-hmm. um, you know, human centered design can be used in, in different places. And it kind of just, it takes some creativity to, to see kind of where that, that, you know, could take place, but um, I would encourage people to kind of go to the the resources that I named earlier, that designkit.org and, you know, check out Luma Institute. They're, they're a, a big human centered design focused organization. And, um, you know, like I said, Mural is a really great tool to just start exploring some of the frameworks. And they do a really great job of kind of outlining how you can start to facilitate, um, you know, some of these sessions and leveraging some of the tools. And, and you know, then you could kind of get into the combining of, of different things and really start to even innovate with what human centered design um, can look like and what you can use it for. So I would say there's probably a wide variety of, of applications for it. Um, and I would say that it's, it's, uh, it's just so critical, um, you know, to create that human centered workforce, like, you know, like mm-hmm. you've talked about uh, so much, it's just so critical to create that human centered workforce. Um, Cause at the end of the day, it is, you know, people driving this change and not 
you know, these large institutions, yes. it's people on the ground and, and in the trenches doing it. So, um, I would say, take the leap, look at, look, look for human center design. And, uh, you know, I would say, uh, check it out and see if it's, if it's applicable, uh, in your organization. I'm sure, I'm sure it is. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll include some of the links that you mentioned, uh, here so that people could check out some tools. Um, again, you know, there's a variety of tools that you can start to incorporate, but I think the first step is the mindset shift, um, on how we're approaching the work from a human centered perspective. That is just utilizing the tools is not helpful. <laughs> you actually have to have the mindset shift, um, to go along with it. So Jordan, I really appreciate your time and sharing uh, your perspective. And I just love how you've kind of brought together some of your experience and how you're leveraging that within, within your team. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for having me on, Andrew.